Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And Father, we ask that you would just help us now as we continue in this time of worship, as we open the scripture. Lord, we want this to be an act of worship like everything else that we consider worship as we humbly submit our hearts to the very truth of your inspired word that you have given to us as the voice of God speaking into our hearts. Please give us an ear to hear, Lord, what your spirit would say to this part of your church and that our hearts would be good and fertile soil that you can plant the seed and truth of your word into. Please speak to us, Lord, and give us responsive hearts. Bless your word, we ask this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, as we saw Jesus say last time in our study, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. It is indeed true that hearing the truth and accepting the truth can be a very liberating thing. It can make a person free. That being said, because we also have this thing called a free will, which means that God has created us graciously with the capacity to make our own choices and the freedom to make decisions, we can, as human beings, decide to reject the truth. We can choose to refuse what is being said to us, though despite it may be incredibly true and evident to our hearts. In fact, the Bible speaks in places like Romans 1 and other occasions of those who suppress the truth. The idea is try to hold down the truth from, from coming up, to, to suppress it, to hold it back. It speaks of those who will not receive the truth. And this is really what today's passage is going to discuss for us. This is what's being illustrated between Jesus and the religious Jews in this passage here. The religious Jews have had the truth presented to them by Jesus many, many times. And yet, sadly, in pride and unbelief, they will not hear or accept the truth 
though it could have helped them tremendously. The background of where we pick up now in verse 37, remember the Jews had just claimed very proudly in the prior verses that they were Abraham's descendants. And now as we continue in verse 37, Jesus will address that claim and will show them how that was really just a spiritual smoke screen, if you would, to kind of try and hide behind the truth and not have to deal with the reality of what it was saying to them spiritually. So that's why I pick up with me in verse 37 there. Jesus says to them, I know, I hear what you're saying. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So Jesus acknowledges that they were indeed Abraham's physical descendants that of nationality they were Jews, but that identity or title, however, meant nothing if their hearts were not right inwardly. And this is what Jesus is addressing here. They felt that claiming a religious connection, if you would, to their identity with a particular class of people that were known for a great spiritual heritage, that somehow identifying with those who have great spiritual heritage sort of automatically granted them if you would a special spiritual status and if you would kind of made them therefore in with God because we're with this particular group that has a spiritual heritage as long as we identify with them we're in with God we have a special spiritual status and that was not the case in fact as Jesus is going to show it was only a smoke screen to hide the inward condition that they were not right yet with God at this time And this is an important thing because though they outwardly are identifying with Abraham's descendants as the Jews, inwardly their hearts were not yet yielded, if you would, on the inside as they should have been to God. Listen to what Paul says in relation to this in Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. He says there this, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit. So again, this is a very important thing. What the Bible is saying is, yes, the Jews were were people called by God. God gave them this covenant sign of circumcision in their body. But what God was concerned about and what Paul is addressing is that many were just taking the outward identity, the title, the trapping of that spiritually, and yet nothing had ever happened in their hearts. And so God is saying, look, to be a true, genuine Jew from God's perspective spiritually is not to be one outwardly by title or to have an outward marking on your body but God says but have you become that inwardly has your heart been yielded to God you know you could read that same verse and take out the word Jew and put in the word Christian he is not a Christian who is one outwardly but inwardly that that's what it means to be a Christian It's not a label or a title or I'm a a Methodist or a Protestant or a Catholic or a Calvary Chapelite or whatever you want to call yourself. It's what are you inwardly? What has happened inwardly in your heart? Have you become a Christian inwardly? People say at times a title or an identity, but if something hasn't happened in the heart, that is a very dangerous misconception. So Jesus is identifying here in verse 37 and exposing the truth of their wrong heart condition. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. I hear you, he says, but look what he says. But yet, he says, you seek to kill me. 
They want to destroy life. They actually want to murder the very Son of God who was sent to them in love. The reason for that is their heart had become so cold and so hard and selfishly cruel in its agenda. Jesus says in verse 37, because of the fact, he said, that my word has no place in you. If you would, they had shut out the voice of the Lord. They had closed their hearts off and would not open up their heart to make room for the truth of the word of God that Jesus was trying to speak to them. They had shut out the voice of God from their life. They had closed their heart to hearing the truth of Jesus' voice and now have such a disinterest in hearing what God is saying. They even want to eliminate the voice of truth by actually murdering the very son of God. Now, as I look at this, I think it's an important thing by way of application for us to remember that when every person, listen, closes off their heart to the voice of the Lord, that is a very dangerous thing because it's scary where that kind of a heart condition can go. And when a person chooses, as we can, if you would, to listen, in the same way we ignore other people, we may let them talk but we all know how at times to let people talk and we're not caring an ounce about what they're saying. Or we let people... Now, I would never do that as a pastor. I'm a good listener. <laughs> Next counseling appointment. He's not listening to anything I'm saying right now. I know he's not. <laughs> we can do the same thing spiritually. God can be speaking to us, speaking to us, speaking to us, but if God is trying to speak to us as I believe he always is in his great love for us, we have, listen, the capacity to tune out the voice of God, to shut out the voice of the Lord. And whenever we shut out the voice of the Lord as a human being, it is scary where a heart condition like that can go to. So as an unbeliever, if you still are not yet genuinely born again of God's spirit and in a right relationship with God, praise the Lord, you're here again. Praise the Lord, you're seeking, you're listening. But listen, be careful. Be careful. Because when a person, and, and you, you sense the conviction of the Spirit, but God's telling me I need to be saved. God's telling me that I'm not right with, and that I need to open my heart to Jesus. But well, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's embarrassing. I, I'm not going don't, to, I don't need it. I'm good enough. For and you shut out the voice of the Lord calling you to be saved. That's dangerous. Be careful. Be careful of doing that. In the same way as Christians, we need to be careful because we at times can be stubborn and rebellious and backslide. And the Lord can be speaking to us by His Spirit. And we can shut out the voice of the Lord, and that's a dangerous place. Look at where it causes these people to come to in this passage. Verse 38, go on with me. Jesus says, I speak what I have seen with my Father. So he reminds them, look, I'm only saying what my Father in heaven is saying to you. I'm just speaking the words that he wants you to hear. He goes on to say, and you, however, do what you have seen with your Father. So, he now begins to indicate they actually have a different spiritual father than whom they think is their spiritual father. And this is what Jesus is going to begin to address. And he says, this is why you behave the way that you do, because your father is directing the way that you're behaving. We say things like father, like son. We understand that the traits of a father become manifested in his offspring. 
Uh, and in the same way, the spiritual DNA of one spiritual father can influence them. And Jesus says, that's the thing. Right now, you're doing what your father is influencing you to do. Now, because they have such animosity toward Jesus, this insinuation of Jesus here challenging the condition of their lives further offends. So they then, in verse 39, retort back. It says, they answered him saying again, Abraham is our father. So they again proudly assert, Abraham is our father. Who are you trying to say our father is? Abraham is our father. Now remember, Abraham was not just the patriarch and the founder of the Jews nationally. More than that, Abraham was a man chosen by God as a vessel. And Abraham was the one who was given all of the promises of God. And Abraham, not just himself, but God said those promises were for all of his what? descendants all the people descended of him Abraham was someone who was a person who was under the blessing of God a man of faith who walked with God and obeyed and followed God so it's understandable why they would want to say Abraham is our father because we want to be under the the covering and the inheritance of all the blessings of Abraham's life being a part of his people made them feel very spiritually superior very spiritually secure, as I said, as if they had an in with God. And have we not all talked to people before who will claim sometimes some connection to you know, a, a religious group or a church affiliation? And, and in a sense, there's a part of that. It's, it makes them feel secure. Uh, I'm in because I'm, I'm with this group or I have this identity, so that makes me safe. This is really what the Jews were doing here. Let's go on. Verse 39 tells us that Jesus answered them and said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Remember, father like son. But now he says, you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. And Jesus says, Abraham, verse 40, Abraham did not do this. So again, Jesus is indicating to them, though they were Abraham's descendants physically, Absolutely, in the flesh. They were Jews, physical descendants. But sadly, that had never translated into them living like the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Living like his spiritual children. Jesus is saying here, if you were the spiritual descendants of Abraham, then his same spiritual DNA that was going on in his heart would be at work in you. And he says, and then you would do the same works that he did spiritually. And again, what were the works of Abraham? Well, Abraham believed God. Abraham accepted the truth of God's promises and responded to the voice of the Lord. Abraham loved God and obeyed God. More than that, Abraham denied himself and submitted to the will of God in his life, even when it was hard. So Jesus says, but now I've just told you the truth from God and you want to kill me? And he says, Abraham never did this. What Jesus is conveying to them is he's identifying that their profession, if you would, and their practice did not meet up. What they professed did not match up with the, their spiritual practice. This reminds us of Titus chapter 1, verse 16, where the Bible says that there are those who profess to know God, but in works they deny him. They're spiritual, we would say spiritual posers, right? I could say to you today, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a great surfer. And I could talk to John Russell here and I could say, John, tell me all the surf lingo, how to say all the right stuff. 
can you give me some surf shirts and you know and, and make me look like a good but but if I can't surf I'm I'm just a poser if I get out there and I just mess up and wreck then you, you profess to be a surfer but in works you sure deny that because you look like an idiot you don't surf very good you're a fake and the same can happen spiritually Listen, people can profess to know God. People can say they have a relationship with God. The same thing can happen in any area of life. And so Titus 1 warns that there are those who profess to know God, but in their works, the manifestation of how they live their life, they then turn around and they deny God. And who's not seen this? I've met people before who, who will claim to be a Christian, and then three sentences later, they'll claim some pretty vulgar, off-the-wall, and I think, Hello? And so we can all, in a sense, recognize this is a reality, and this is what the Jews were doing that Jesus was trying to bring them to the understanding of. And notice, if you would, as well in our text here, how angry and antagonistic some people can get when you tell them the truth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, and now you want to kill me? Because <laughs> I'm telling you the truth? But is it not true, wouldn't you agree, that sometimes when you tell people the truth, they can get really antagonistic? People can get really upset. Let me just say this morning, don't be shocked at times if you share the truth with someone and they get very antagonistic and they get very angry and want to attack or harm you in some way. I just have to say to you, that's sort of par for the course. If you want to be honest with people sometimes and speak the truth and even to do that in love, just expect you may not always get a thank you. You may not get a, a happy response. But, but again, are you not going to speak the truth for your own self-preservation? And, and here they get so angry at Jesus, they literally want to murder the very Son of God he's addressing with them. He says, verse 41, you again, he says, do the deeds of your father again he's trying to indicate notice their spiritual father is not whom they think he is this is what jesus is trying to help them understand because of whose spiritual children you are he says that's the main reason why you want to murder me and why you behave and act the way that you do now it gets a little intense here look at this verse 41 then they said to him we were not born of fornication and i imagine there was a little sarcasm in that do you see what they're saying here? I wrote here, wow. Talk about getting a little heated and heaping some rude insults. They now say to Jesus, unlike you, we're not mistakenly born of fornication. Our mother didn't get pregnant out of wedlock like your mom did. You're basically a, a child born of sexual sin, they're in essence saying of Jesus here and, and accusing him of being illegitimately born as an accident, as a child born out of wedlock, born because of sexual fornication. Now, that's a pretty intense insult. Of course, we know the truth that Mary, the Bible teaches, was a virgin who conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit miraculously. And God miraculously placed the life of his son, Jesus Christ, in the womb of the Virgin Mary so that Jesus could be born in the way that he was, being fully God and fully man, in touch with deity and in touch with humanity. He didn't have an earthly father. It's because he was miraculously conceived in the life of a woman, purposely. If that didn't happen, we couldn't be saved. But to those who didn't believe that or those who didn't understand that, we see here... It obviously looked otherwise. 
Now, this is an interesting text because it shows us that Jesus clearly, you can tell, had an obvious stigma that was attached to his life by some people. That to a lot of people, to some people, even these individuals here, they look at Jesus with this stigma of your mom got pregnant as a teenager and you don't even know who your real dad is. You were you were born out of wedlock, and you're you're a child born of sexual sin, and and Jesus had to grow up with this stigma attached to his life, and he had to learn how to overcome it. And I bring this to your attention because there may be some of you even in this room this morning that you perhaps have dealt with a similar stigma of being born in that way, and and maybe you were born out of wedlock, and so you deal with that stigma and maybe the confusion of that. Can I say this? Jesus understands that. And he can help you to overcome that. And he can help that not to be something that paralyzes you or makes you doubt your worth, but he can help you to understand it and work through it and walk in victory over it. Because Jesus himself had to deal with the same thing. Well, the angry religious leaders now arrogantly claim in contrast to Jesus, they say, we, the idea is again, unlike you, we have one father and that is God. So they proudly proclaim here, notice their confession, that they believed that God was their father. That they believe at this point, this is the case, they believe that they are children of God. That's in essence what they're saying. We know who we are and we know that we are God's children. Now as they claim that God is their father, Jesus here lovingly corrects the mistaken idea. Look what he says, verse 42. He says to them, if... God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth from God and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. So Jesus is telling them, contrary to what they think, that they were children of God, Jesus says here, if God were, he says, your father, indicating he wasn't. Jesus says to them, if God were your father, then this would be the case. He's indicating in your current condition right now, God is not your father. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't love them and want to adopt them and that he didn't want to become their father. But in their current condition, God was not yet their father. Let me say something this morning. Though God is indeed the creator of all life generally, biologically every life that exists god had part in he caused it to come to pass he god grants life and conception and the breath in every person's lungs and though god is the creator of all people's lives the bible teaches that god is not automatically the father spiritually of every person as soon as they're born the bible teaches that unfortunately this is what here you can see the Jews and as well many others believe in fact they're going to hear from Jesus here now going uh, to, to, to this reality is something that needs to be discovered in their lives so that God then hopefully could become their father this is why Jesus is trying to bring this to their attention here about who their spiritual father he's going to say in the next verses he's going to tell them who their spiritual father currently really is and it's not God in fact, it's a little worse than what they expected. He's going to tell them in the next verses here. And let me just say this morning, God not being the father of these Jews at that moment who were talking to Jesus, as well as God not being the father of everyone, is every human being's initial condition 
spiritually until or unless they are born spiritually and they have a birth spiritually, if you would, where their spiritual life begins and they become a true child of God. Jesus indicates here the clear evidence of how he could point to them. They were not yet a true child of God. What was it primarily? Because they were not rightly related to Jesus. Do you see what he says there in verse 42? If God were your father, he says, which he's not, but if he were, he says, you would love me because I was sent forth from God in love for you as God's gift to you. Jesus came forth from the father and provided salvation in the way to be in relationship with the father. Jesus was sent by God and those who recognize and believe who Jesus is as the son of God and why he came to build a bridge from deity God to sinful humanity so that people could be forgiven of their sins and have a relationship with God when people believe that and understand that and they respond to Jesus understanding their sinful condition and that only Jesus can forgive them only Jesus can give them access into heaven and eternal life only Jesus can give them a relationship with God and reunite them into a relationship with God that we don't begin with it's at that moment when we respond to Jesus, we then become the spiritual children of God when we respond to and receive Jesus in that way in our life. We saw all the way back in chapter 1, John chapter 1 verse 12 says, as many as received him, Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. You see that we have to become children of God. This is what the Bible teaches and what's important to understand. To those who receive Jesus, he gives the right to become at that point a child of God. This is an important experience we all must come to at some point in our life. And when we then trust Jesus as God's Savior and we receive Jesus into our life personally, understanding these realities, it's then we enter into the family of God. We receive the spirit of adoption, if you would, who comes into our life and makes us a child of God. And as a result, we then responsively love God the Father and we love Jesus, as Jesus says here. If God were your father, you would love me. And, and when God becomes your father spiritually, you love Jesus. You really love Jesus because you understand it all clicks. And, and this is what Jesus wants them to understand. He says, verse 43, look at it. He says, why do you not understand my speech? because you are not able to listen to my word. So because they had hardened and closed off their hearts to Jesus' voice, technically they were, in a sense, blinding themselves. They were hindering their own ability to understand spiritual truth because when a person doesn't want to be open to or hear the truth, the tragedy is this, what many don't realize. When a person doesn't want to be open to the truth and they genuinely don't want to hear the truth, the tragedy is, is what they do is they actually hinder their own ability to be able to understand the truth. You, in a sense, dull your own hearing. You dull your own heart. You dull your own senses spiritually and darken your reasoning capacity. And I just want to say this morning again, be careful of ever doing that. Be careful of doing that in such a way whereby you have no sincere interest in hearing and accepting what's being spoken because you can make yourself very spiritually vulnerable to spiritual deception. And spiritual deception is a real thing. It is a real thing. 
be very careful. I mean, people can even politely listen and entertain the truth, but there are times, listen, where there are people who they will listen, but they have absolutely no genuine interest in really hearing the truth for themselves. They may even be tolerant, but they really don't want to listen to it. And they have no intention on responding to it, especially if it challenges what they currently want to believe. And when a person does that, the danger is, Jesus says, you are then unable to understand. You, you blind yourself. You make yourself susceptible to spiritual blindness. Listen to what 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 4. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, should shine on them in their lives. So again, do you see the Bible teaches that the devil has capacity to blind, to, to blind and hinder the ability to see and understand the minds of people who don't want to believe. And if a person says, I, 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 don't, I don't want to hear, I, and, I, and I will not believe that. For whatever the reason may be, the Bible says you have just given the devil open access to blind you spiritually. It's a dangerous thing to do, a very dangerous thing. Oh, what do I do? I, I don't, I don't want to be blinded. Believe. Believe what Jesus is saying to you. Humble yourself and believe the word of God, believe the spirit of God. And if you exercise your belief, you're saved by faith. If you exercise your belief, God will rip the veil off and the light of God will flood into your soul and you will see. And you can be saved and you can experience all that God wants for you and your understanding will be open spiritually. So Jesus is going to shine the light now upon the truth of their spiritual condition. Look as he goes on now, verse 44 he says, you are, now he's going to tell them, remember he's saying you have a different father, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father is what you want to do. So Jesus, as God in human flesh, loving all people, speaks an important reality now that the devil actually has spiritual children. And that the spiritual children of the devil are actually at times human beings. First John chapter 3 says this. It speaks of how the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or revealed and known. The Bible speaks that there are children of God and children of the devil. This is what the Bible says. And this is very important because it's a biblical concept. Let me just say, it's hard for people to swallow. It almost seems unpalatable. It almost wants to get... What are you, children of the devil? I mean, how, how could... But the Bible says that this is a biblical truth and it's vital to understand and that is why, listen, that's why Jesus is stating this here. Because this is vital to understand. He's saying that this is a reality spiritually we have to come to terms with. And, and let me draw your attention to this. Notice that Jesus is not saying this about being children of the devil. He's not even saying this to those who are living, let me use this term, grossly immoral lifestyles. Those children of the devil. Wicked, vile people. He's saying this to religious people. Ouch. You know, we want to write up, well, I'm not lying about me. I'm children of the devil. I know the children of the devil are. I got one of those right next door. 
That's a children of the devil. No, the, the, Jesus says here that someone is a child of the devil. Technically, literally, Satan, the devil, is the father of those, very simply, listen, who are not yet the children of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And this is a hard thing to swallow. And even as a father possesses the authority to rule over their child and direct them, the DNA of the father influences the child to then emulate them. The devil, as a spiritual father of the unconverted, has the power, therefore, to rule over, to guide, and to direct and influence those who are not yet under the power of the Holy Spirit once they've become a child of God. Ephesians 2 speaks about this, saying that before we were converted, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, listen, who now works in the sons of disobedience. The devil is the unseen ruling prince directing the lives of people who are not yet being ruled by the Holy Spirit on the inside of their life once they become a child of God. This is why Jesus says here in verse 44, that's why he says the desires of your father are what you want to do. Now, Jesus is going to go on here and give some insight about the devil, mainly his motive and his methods here. Look what he says, verse 44. He was a murderer. This is the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Some render that better. He speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of it. So notice, what's the devil's motive? Very simple. He wants to destroy lives. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. And what's a murderer? Someone who cruelly and selfishly ruins and destroys another person's life. This is what the devil does. We see it from the Garden of Eden, from the devil's origin when he became a fallen being. He has always wanted to destroy mankind. As soon as he shows up in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, the first two human beings, because he jealously hates mankind, he right away tries to sabotage them, to pull them away from a relationship with God, and he wants to destroy man. To destroy mankind's life. And we see this from the very beginning. Jesus is going to say in later chapters in John that Satan is a thief who wants to rob, kill, and destroy. That does not sound like a very good thing. This is the agenda. This is the motive of the devil. The evidence of his efforts are pretty obvious if you look around our world. He's ruining and destroying a lot of lives. That's his motive. What's his method? Well, Jesus tells us his method here in verse 44 as well. Here's the method by which he fulfills that motive of destroying lives. Jesus says it's lying. By being a liar and being a great deceiver. Again, the first words of the devil in the Garden of Eden. What's he doing? He's questioning God's truth. He's questioning God's character. And he's trying to get Eve, what? To be seduced with a little subtle lie in that situation so he could destroy Adam and Eve. Jesus calls him here in verse 44. He says that he is a liar. So that is the main attribute of the devil is that he's a master deceiver. Jesus calls him here the father of lies, which means he gives birth or origin to all deception that exists, all falsehood that arises. And Jesus says as well that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. The idea is, that's his strongest language. He's most familiar with speaking lies and propagating lies. If you would, 
No offense if you're a salesperson. But the devil's a very skilled, a very skilled, corrupt salesperson. He knows how to very attractively present and persuade people to be convinced with and commit to what he's selling, which is lies. And he does it in such subtle little ways, you know, to where people, I mean, people knew they were believing a lie. Who, I mean, who would who'd purposely buy a faulty product? Oh, you're selling me junk? Great, praise the Lord. Where do I sign for that? Oh, this is going to fall apart in two days? Fantastic. Oh, it'll be good for an hour, but then afterwards it's going to be misery and pain and suffering and death and difficulty and divorce. And, I mean, who would sign that? But the devil presents it and he packages and he presents it and he manipulates and he and he's in no rush. There's no rush at all. Subtly just bait that and reel it in. Jiggle the bait a little. Oh, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And, and he'll present lies. And listen... By getting people to embrace a lie, he slowly and systematically destroys people's lives. This is what he does. Think about it. Look, look around. Think of people personally whose lives have been destroyed or are being destroyed by Satan working in this way. Individual lives. So sad. Perhaps that was some of our lives even before Christ saved us. Think of relationships, marriages, you know, parent-child relationships, friendships, church relationships that because of lies, people believing a lie, falling prey to misunderstandings and then just full on embracing it all. Think of relationships that have been ruined, trashed and destroyed and people hurt. Think of our society, the lies that are propagated and, and our culture just going down the tubes. People stuck in lifestyles and habits and believing insanity because of lies and how it destroys. I tell you, it is one of the most destructive forces out there is just lies that people buy into and believe. And certainly it's the most destructive force spiritually and eternally to get people to think, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need, I don't need what the Bible says. And, and people are being destroyed because of that well verse 45 Jesus says but because I tell you the truth you do not believe me he says because I'm trying to spare you and tell you the truth to spare you from the devil's destruction you're angry with me you're faulting me for that Jesus says which of you convicts me of sin or can prove me guilty of sin Jesus says again the reality was no one could the Bible says he was without sin committed no sin Jesus was the sinless son of God he says, I'm not doing something wrong here. I'm trying to help you in this process. He says, if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So Jesus acts and indicates the reason why they would not hear what he was saying to them. And he infers here very clearly that a person who has a genuine relationship with God and God's Spirit is at work within their life, they will therefore desire the things of the Spirit of God. They will want to hear the Word of God. They will want to follow the Word of God. That's why Jesus says, He who is of God hears God's words. Now on the other side of that, these Jews who are rejecting Jesus, who was God in their midst, failed to see Him as God. Their disconnection inwardly from God gave them a disinterest in God's word. And that's why Jesus then says there as well, you see it, look at the text. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God, he says. The idea is they weren't in right relationship with God, so they didn't want to hear what God was trying to say to them. 
Can I say here, this is a great application and principle. One of the ways we can tell if we or any other person is in a right relationship with God in their heart is by their desire or interest in hearing God's word and wanting to obey God's word and wanting to follow God's word. If God's spirit is at work in a person's heart, they will want to hear the word of God. They'll desire. I never wanted to read the Bible before I got saved. Are you kidding me? I didn't want to read a textbook. What do I want to read this? A big book. But when God's Spirit enters in on the inside, all of a sudden you desire to hear God's voice. And you want to obey God's voice. And, and because you're of God now, you want so. How can you tell if you're in right relationship with God? Do you have a desire for the Word of God? Do you have a desire to want to obey God and obey His voice? That's because God's at work in your life. Now on the other side of that, the lack of or the absence of a desire for the word of God, Jesus says an indication there's a lack of an absence, maybe a vacancy of God's spirit being at work on the inside. And that's why Jesus says here, you don't hear because you're not of God. You don't desire to hear and that's why. And that's not a criticism. That's intended to be a revelation. That Jesus is saying, we got to resolve something on the inside. Open your heart to God and when God gets on the inside all of a sudden you'll find wow that's why these people love the Bible that's why these people want to hear God because all of a sudden the desires of God now become awakened inside of you and this is what Jesus is desiring for them to understand well verse 48 the Jews answered and said to him do you not rightly say that you look at this now you are a Samaritan and you have a demon so look what goes on here. Talk about they can't refute his statements, so now they just result to, to insults. They say, well, well, wait a minute here. You're trying to say that the devil's our father? Well, well, you're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed. I mean, that's what's going on here. You're a Samaritan, which that was an a, a ethnic or racial slur or insult, and you're demon-possessed. I mean, it's like, the, like you know, a school-ground uh, argument here going on. Your mama. You know, I mean, it's this kind of stuff. It's going back and forth here. They become quite rude and offensive. I mean, keep in mind, they're saying this to the very Son of God. But though they get derogatory and rude, Jesus is governed by love, and he keeps reasoning with them. I mean, this is phenomenal. The things that they're saying to God face-to-face and he doesn't just release wrath on them. He just lovingly keeps trying to reason with them and win their hearts. Verse 49, go on with me. Jesus answered, I don't have a deep, but I honor my father and you dishonor me, he says. And I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. So Jesus, I'm just simply trying to honor my father in heaven and yet you're dishonoring me for that. He says, I just want you to realize that my father is the one trying to glorify me for you to see. And one day, Jesus says, he who judges is going to judge humanity according to their response to me. This is why I'm trying to say this to you. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So Jesus, again here, notice this, is indicating he's divine by promising he has power over death. He says here, if anyone keeps my word, believes what I say, he will never taste death. The idea is he will not be overcome by or defeated by what the Bible calls the second death, which is to be separated from God. 
in the lake of fire forever. Because Jesus possesses eternal life within himself as the Son of God, he can promise to grant and give eternal life to anyone who believes him and receives from him what he states in his word and his promise. That though we may die physically as the end experience of physical life, that experience will not be the end of our existence. Because Jesus promises to all of us there's opportunity to have eternal life in heaven beyond that. Jesus said back in John 5 verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now verse 52 says the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets that are dead, who do you make yourself out to be? So they know exactly what Jesus is inferring about himself here. Only God has the power over life and death. That's why they're saying there in verse 43, hold on a minute. Only God has the power over life and death. Who do you make yourself out to be? What are you trying to say here? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father, he says, who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. So Jesus indicates that God the Father was seeking to honor him among them. And the reason why is so they would understand how to have a relationship with God. And Jesus says, you say that the Father in heaven is your God. However, verse 55, yet, Jesus says, you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. So again, Jesus lovingly, but honestly confronts and corrects their mistaken ideas spiritually. He indicates to them because he was one with the father and knows the father intimately as the son, as part of the Trinity. And he says, because of that, I know God the Father and I keep his word, Jesus says there. And therefore, he says, thus I can tell you, you don't know him. You don't know him yet, the idea is. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. Contrary to what you may think of yourself, up to this point in your life, you have not yet known God in a personal way. And Jesus is trying to say to them, if you keep thinking that, you're going to believe a lie. And I don't want you to be misguided eternally. I love you. And so I'm trying to say to you, though you have thought you have known God, you don't yet know him. Because I know him. And if you knew him, I would be aware of that, Jesus is saying. So he's trying to reach their hearts. Verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham, who they clung to, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So again, Jesus says, Abraham, unlike you, he saw, the idea is probably via by faith, the day of Christ. And Jesus says, he rejoiced over my day. Now, perhaps that infers through the messianic promises given to Abraham or the birth of Isaac Maybe most clearly in Genesis 22 when he offered up Isaac, somehow Abraham by faith saw the day of the coming Savior of the world, the Messiah. And Jesus says he rejoiced and welcomed that day gladly. 
But the Jews said to him, verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. They think this is ludicrous. How can you say you've seen Abraham? He lived centuries ago before you were ever born. Look at verse 58. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus says here to them, the shocking statement, is before Abraham's life ever came into being historically, he says, I have always existed eternally. Before Abraham ever was at one point in history, I am. I am the ever-present one. He takes the title to himself that the Jews knew of God, the great I am. And that title specifically revealed who God was to the Jews, that he was the eternally existent, all-sufficient God, the I am, the ever-present one that whatever they needed God to be, God would become. And Jesus takes this title to himself now, openly, directly claiming deity. And that's why verse 59 says, then they took up stones, that was considered blasphemy, to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and passed by. So being God, I want you to consider this as the story closes. Jesus could have done many, many things to keep the dialogue going here. But instead, he peacefully uses his authority to somehow dismiss himself from the stoning experience. And he just, if you would, he powerfully spoke the truth to them. And after powerfully speaking the truth to them, he now just leaves them to wrestle with the truth in their hearts and to make their own decision. And can I say this morning, Jesus will do this. Jesus will powerfully, but yet like a gentleman, very graciously, he will speak to us. And then he leaves us the freedom to decide what we will do in our response to him regarding what he said to us. And this morning, I know that Jesus has been speaking to some of you recently. Perhaps he's been speaking even to some of you today about things in your life. My question is this, what will you now do? Will you respond to Jesus or will you reject Jesus? Will you respond to the truth or will you reject the truth? Understand you'll be held accountable for that for what you know and what God said to you and God will as well allow the fruit of your decision to unfold in your life circumstantially now and ultimately eternally as well. Choose to respond to Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's pray.